Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane. Covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest is the author of a new book for parents entitled The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. His book is packed with information for parents, including warning signs every parent should know. He's been a mental health and addiction counsellor for over two decades and provided mental health and substance abuse treatment for adults and adolescents at one of the US's top 10 psychiatric hospitals. Hi, Richard, and thanks for joining us today. How are you? Hello, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me to the program. It's a pleasure to be here. No, it's a pleasure to have you. I am interested and intrigued as to what you're going to tell us around, you know, all of the different things, the warning signs and different things um, like that, that we as parents need to be aware of regarding our adolescence and also our younger kids going up into adolescence as such. So, so look, first of all, before we get into um, the book that you've written and all of the you know, awesome information that we like need as parents. Tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you? Who are you, Richard? Well, <laughs> well, um, I had a long career in education, um, working for a uh, state agency education uh, board. I uh, then transitioned over into working in mental health, started out working in a mental health crisis center wow. and noticed a lot of people uh, who were coming to the crisis center from the emergency rooms had uh, not only a mental health issue, but also a substance abuse issue. So I went back to school and I got a, a, another degree in substance abuse uh, counseling. I, I, I went to work for Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital that serves adolescents and adults um, and worked there for over a decade. And so many times I would sit across from a family and I would go through the history of their child's using a substance, yeah. you know, what substances they were using when they began, how often they were using and give them a diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And, and parents would look across at me sometimes and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they might say, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. And these are good parents. These are very good parents doing the best that they could do. They missed the warning signs because nobody ever told them what to yeah. look for. So then they started to feel guilty and anger. And how did I miss the warning signs? What did I do wrong? Um, so when I left Menninger, I wanted to write this book, uh, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I, I kept it to around 100 pages because parents are busy. They don't, they don't have time to read volumes of information. So I kept it to about 100 pages, okay. but I packed it with very straightforward, non-technical information to help parents uh, become less paranoid, less afraid, and more confident yeah. that if they're confronted with this issue, they'll know how to handle it. But out of, okay, I, I, and thank you for doing that because I'm one of these parents who sits there and I just don't understand. I 
am not an addict. Um, and so I understand potentially the traumas and the fact that the child or person, adult, child, whatever you would like to call them, um, because, you know, um, this can start off very small in adolescence, I suppose, and move in and grow into adulthood and be like mammoth, you know, a major addiction as such. Although we're finding younger and younger people are um, getting addicted at younger and younger ages. But like out of all of the different areas you could have gone into, right, you chose this one. Why did you choose this one? Like I'm fascinated with like – it's mental health it's addiction it's not a pleasant it's not like you're helping people to give birth to children or or anything like that it's like this is not a pleasant area to go into and delve into it can be frustrating um because you're dealing with addicts who want to give up who need to give up but can't give up and then you're dealing with their their parents and their families and stuff like that why why this it can it, it can it can be a real challenge. It can be at times very frustrating, uh, but it also can be very rewarding because I've seen I've seen a number of of teenagers turn around. I have seen them with their struggles, not just with a substance, but also a mental health issue that they were dealing with. Maybe it was anxiety. Maybe it was depression. Maybe it was a trauma or an eating disorder okay. or self injury, and and I've seen him struggle through that and 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 make tremendous progress yeah. in their treatment um, and, and go on to to leave these disorders in the past uh, and, and to move on with their lives and and I think that sense of seeing that uh, treatment works that recovery is possible and people can overcome teenagers can overcome these substances and move on with their lives that's a very rewarding yeah, no, that's thing fair to enough see. that's yeah that's fair enough that's fair enough did, did you, was there any turning point where you went, I want to go down this avenue and like, was there something that happened to you that you said, this is what I want to do? I think when I when I started working uh, in the mental health crisis center and I saw so many people who were struggling, not just with a mental health issue, Mm -hmm. but also they had a substance abuse issue. So they had both Um, uh, that sort of uh, got me going in the direction of wanting to get more education about substance abuse and begin working and treating with people, uh, teenagers and adults, both who uh, were struggling with both a mental health issue and a substance abuse issue, because many times these two disorders uh, co-occur at the same time. Okay, so when you say a mental health issue, what 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 do you mean? Is that like autism, ADHD, or something like that, or is it is it like trauma, as in sexual abuse, domestic violence? What what does that what does that mean? It, it can be any number mm-hmm. of issues. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. It could be a traumatic experience. It could be an emerging personality disorder like oppositional defiant disorder. Um, so it, it, it could be any number of, of, of mental health issues. The, the, a large number of teenagers that I worked with at Menninger Clinic uh, who were smoking marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. So for a lot of kids, not all kids, but for a lot of kids, there's an underlying psychological 
mental health issue that oftentimes gets undiagnosed and untreated. Um, so if we have a child who is struggling with uh, a substance use disorder and has a mental health issue underlying it, it's very important that parents, number one, get that assessed and then uh, and then get treatment for yeah. both issues. Yeah, and I look, I agree with you. So I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this. But I, I sometimes I wonder if there's nothing worse for a child than to have a parent in denial that says, no, my child doesn't have an issue. My child doesn't suffer from ADHD, doesn't suffer from anxiety. My child's fine. It is X, Y, and Z that, you know, it's their mother or it's, you know, it's it's not that my child has a mental health issue as such. And they're all completely in denial. I mean, I don't, what's your yeah. opinion on that? Because you, you've been in this for some time. <laughs> I, th- I think I, I, th- I think that's a very difficult issue to come face to face with as a parent. It's it's scary. Um, even the even the thought of your child using a substance is a scary issue, and 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 many parents want to shy away from it, or they have the opinion that it, it can't happen to my child. It happens to other childs, but it can't happen to my child, and that's a very dangerous attitude to have. Uh, it, it's much, in my opinion, it's it's much more better for parents to be knowledgeable because education, uh, knowledge is power. The more we know about uh, these substances is, the more we know about the warning signs and the issues, the better we pre- better prepared we feel and the more confident we feel that we're able to handle this issue if it comes up. And the earlier we can begin to gather these information, uh, this information when our children are pre-teenagers, that's the time when to really start becoming informed about this issue. It's never too late, but if you have children that are pre-teens, I, I would suggest that you begin to learn about substance abuse and the warning signs and, and, and the various things that you can do if you're confronted with the issue. The earlier you learn these issues, the the earlier you get this knowledge, hopefully the more prepared you're going to feel. Hopefully you won't ever need it, but you'll feel better prepared and more confident in the event that you need to Yeah, and look, I was interviewing somebody the other day who said to me, like I said, oh, but I won't need to speak to my child about I don't think pornography, say, for example, steak. I think that was what we were talking about. As I won't need to talk to my child about pornography until, well, at least he's like 11, 12, something like that. And this person said, um, no, you might want to take three or four years off that because, you know, with the internet, with the environment that the children are in nowadays, with computer games, with with social media and all of those things, it may not be that you allow it in your household, but that with them being at school, with mobile phones, all schools, especially, I mean, I don't know about the states where you're calling, where I'm calling you, but like in Australia, majority of the schools use iPads for educational purposes. So those iPads are open to the Mm -hmm. internet, et cetera. And I know as parents, you can lock those down. Um, But my son at six has an iPad um, because, well, it was purchased by his father for him for his birthday, but he can FaceTime his grandmother. He can FaceTime myself when he's not with me. You know, there's various different ways that we use it. And we were using it for schoolwork as well. So, I mean, is yeah. that the same sort of thing with substance abuse and, and stuff like that? Are you thinking? 
I, 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 th I think it is. I think, uh, first of all, it has to be age uh, appropriate. And, and, and what I recommend to parents is if you have a pre-teenage boy or girl, what you want to do is start by educating them about how their brain okay. works. Teach them about the brain. Uh, kids are usually interested uh, in how their brain works. And the message is that our brains are in the process of developing and don't become fully developed until around age 24 or 25. So I would begin by teaching uh, an adolescent, a pre-teenager, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, about the brain. Let them learn about the brain. Let them know how important the brain is. Let them know that their brain is developing and, 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 and maturing. Teach them about what different areas of the brain do. There's a part of the brain that helps you speak. There's a part of the brain that helps you see. There's a part of the brain that helps you walk. There's a part of the brain that helps with your thinking. Uh, and then once they have that concept down and they move into the teenage years, now that they have an understanding of the brain and how important it is, you can begin to have discussions about how these drugs mm. affect the brain. So first you teach them about the importance of the brain and protecting it. And then as they get older, you can have conversations of, okay, let's look at how these drugs change your brain. Let's look at how marijuana affects your brain. Let's look at how alcohol and all these other drugs affect your brain. Um, so it really becomes an education for the child. Um, yes. Uh, because I, I, I think that I think that has the most powerful impact on kids. It doesn't do any good. When, when I was working with teenagers, it didn't do me any good to tell them drugs were illegal. It didn't tell me do me any good to tell them drugs were no. bad or they get bad grades or drop out of school or not get into college or not get a job. They didn't believe any of that. But when I talked to them about their brain, that they were interested in, they were curious about it. So I could talk to them about their brain and I could talk to them about how drugs like marijuana work within the brain, how it affects things like the processing speed of the brain and their short-term memory. And that they were that mm, they were interested mm. in. Okay. Okay. And look, and I think I think that's a very good uh, and now analogy is not the word, um, process, I suppose, because like my son's just turned six so to go in with full-on don't do drugs they're bad I mean he's at, he's six he's gonna sit yeah. there and go yeah whatever mum I'm not I don't understand what you're talking about but to actually explain how the brain works because right. he's wanting to know you know there's bones in our bodies mummy and you know and did you know like when you cut yourself there's blood come out and all of these things so that yeah so he's just fascinated with the brain and how that works and hormones and various different other things so yeah. no that's fair enough that's fair enough yeah. so okay so um so you did you so you were mental health and uh, addiction counselor for a considerably long period of time um uh, so why the book why why because a lot of people would go well, okay thanks i've you know i've done my time i've helped a lot of people why the book that's like next level I wrote the book because after working with so many parents and seeing them struggle with a child who has a substance abuse issue and feel guilty that they didn't recognize it earlier and it became a crisis and they didn't know what to do, 
I, I, I wanted to write a book that would be a resource for parents. It would, it would tell them a little bit about the street drugs that they're out there. They know about alcohol and marijuana, but they may not know about some of these other drugs that kids have access to. I wanted to give them a, an explanation of how drugs mm -hmm. work in the brain. Um, I wanted to uh, give them information on if they suspect their child is using a substance, what assessments should they get done to get a comprehensive assessment? Certainly you need a substance abuse assessment, but there's other assessments that you need to get done so that you can get a complete picture of what's going oh, on okay. with your child. So I put a chapter, so I put a chapter in on what assessments should you get done if you suspect your child is using a substance. I put a chapter in how do you recognize what a good treatment program looks like? If you're looking for treatment, what is a good evidence-based treatment program look like? What kinds of questions should you ask a treatment provider? I put a chapter that explains what treatment options are out there, everything from outpatient to inpatient to intensive outpatient, so that parents knew what the full range of treatment options were and which when people talk to them about intensive outpatient treatment, what does that mean? Uh, when they talk about outpatient or residential treatment, what does that mean? So I put a chapter in there on that as well. And then there's a chapter on what we call process disorders. There are chemical disorders and process disorders. Chemical disorders are the alcohol and the drugs. Process disorders are behavioral disorders. Examples are self-injury, eating disorders, cell phone use, social media use, all of these can be compulsive behaviors, just like alcohol and drugs can become compulsive behaviors. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes a child will develop a chemical disorder like alcohol or marijuana, and also a process disorder like mm. self-injury, or maybe developing an eating disorder. And, and many times parents miss the warning signs on a child that might be, say, uh, self-injuring themselves because kids oh, are very good at very covering it so. up. So I put so I put warning signs in my book for a child that might be self-harming themselves, self-injuring themselves. And I put warning signs in the book on how to recognize if your child is developing an eating disorder. So uh, and then there's a chapter on resources, on, on, on additional resources that parents can yeah, have access yeah. to. And, and I and I packed all that into about 100 wow. pages. Wow. So, look, I know, like, when I was um, when I was 16, 17, uh, although it didn't, like, go for a major period of time, like, I had an eating disorder uh, triggered by something that somebody had said to me. Um, and so I thought I, I got the idea from a book that I read because that was how, you know, I got the idea and thought, oh, well, you know, this star actress does this. So I maybe I should try it. Maybe it'll work for me. Um, and I know exactly what uh -huh. you mean because my parents didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue until they discovered, um, you know, to my mum sort of picked up on something and then you know and then it was all like but for me as a child I was okay as a child because I was dealing with it and I was going okay this is fine and I sort of wasn't really it didn't really have um the eating disorder as such when my parents had discovered it I'd sort of got through that and stage as such 
but um yeah but like but for me as a child I was like oh here we go all hell let loose and it was like oh my god and like my mum and dad were very worried you know my my mum and dad are still together they've been together like 50 odd years and like you know I can't I had a really good childhood but like yeah it's just very bizarre what triggers kids and what triggers you and and stuff like that so let's not beat around the bush what are some of the key warning signs? So so let's take the substance abuse side of things. So because we we have here, and I've read just quite recently that we've got kids uh, that are 10 that are now vaping in Australia, right? Vaping on a regular basis, peer pressure, whatever it is, but they're vaping. Uh, we have alcohol. We have a lot of alcohol abuse, which may, stems, I don't know if it's, goes to domestic violence or whatever, but um, they seem to go hand in hand. There is uh, drug abuse, although um, the media in Australia hasn't really publicised the drug abuse and the issues that we've got here. I know um, it's very, speaking to another gentleman about drug abuse here, Sydney seems to have quite a massive coke habit at the moment. Um, And I'm sure Melbourne's got various different things that it's going on. I think we're MDMA down here, the party drug, and probably coke as well. And across the board because i'm in the most locked down city in the world melbourne although across the board within australia um statistics have said that marijuana usage just rocketed as well as alcohol usage because we were all locked down with our kids and our partners we were stuck in the same four walls and so we all we all substance abuse basically during the lockdown, you know, um, instead of actually sitting within it and dealing with it. So what warning signs as parents do we, let's take the substance abuse first. Do we need to, um, well, be aware of it. It's interesting. Um, you know, teenagers are still attracted to alcohol and marijuana. Those are their two primary substances. There is some exposure to hardcore drugs, more hardcore drugs. Uh, but generally, uh, at least in the United States, it's it's less than 5%. Uh, the, the majority of kids are still attracted to alcohol and marijuana. But what we have noticed is what you just brought up. In the last three years, there has been a tremendous increase in the number of kids that are vaping nicotine and marijuana in the last three years the percentage of 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 high school kids uh, that are vaping has has significantly increased at alarming rates um so that is that is a a major concern yeah um but 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 with those two sorry richard with those two because i my brain is just firing off different questions in my head with those two is it the alcohol and marijuana nicotine vaping is it because it's so easy to get hold of that people are using those because alcohol i mean you know we've got shops on every street corner yeah. it would seem to you know that we can get alcohol and also you can steal alcohol from your parents not that i would condone that or anything like that but you know at the end of the day if your parents have alcohol it's a lot easier to get it and cheaper yeah. to get it from somewhere like that so is that I, I think there are two factors that contribute to the, the the increase in adolescent substance abuse that that we're seeing. The first issue is availability. These drugs are widely available to teenagers, and they know it. When we ask them how easy is it for you to get a drug like marijuana, 
a large percentage of, of, of them say it's no big deal. They, they, or how easy is it for you to get alcohol? Not a problem at all, they tell us. Yeah. Uh, even a drug like LSD, they tell us, that's not a problem. I, I, I can get it if I want it. So wow. these drugs are readily available and these kids know it. The second issue is how harmful do these kids think these drugs are? And what they tell us is they don't think these drugs are very harmful. They don't think smoking marijuana almost every day is harmful. They don't mm. think drinking alcohol even, even once or twice a day is very harmful. So when you take those two factors, drugs are widely available, easily, easily, easy for these kids to get, and they don't think that they're very harmful then you have the perfect storm. And as kids go through high school, the perception of risk declines. So what that is, is that high school seniors see these drugs as being less risky than high school freshmen. So as they go from freshman to sophomore to junior to senior year, their perception of how risky these drugs are declines wow. is, is that because they've been around them longer like when they're a freshman or I suppose that would be our year eight um like is that because yeah. they are um then it's all new to them and it's like new and it's a bit risky and stuff like that but then when they get older and older to like the final years which would be our year 12s and your senior years um is it that they're just, they've been doing it for, for the last four years and nobody's died of it. So, you know, it's okay. Is that sort no. of why? I, 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 th I think it's because as adolescents, they don't see any significant uh, disadvantages uh, or any consequences as a result of okay. their substance use. You know, that's different than adults. Adults who are addicted to a substance um, oftentimes have faced catastrophic consequences as a result of their use. They might have lost a family. They might have lost a marriage. They might have lost a job. They might have been incarcerated. Those are catastrophic consequences. Adolescents, on the other hand, they don't face any consequences. Their biggest consequence is their parent yeah. yelling at them um, or, or, or restricting them. So I think part of their attitude that these drugs are not dangerous or risky is because they see very few negative consequences to either they're using a drug or their friends using a drug. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And, and do you then see the correlation of because like when when I was a teenager it was always like so in the UK when I was a teenager it was a massive great big thing about heroin and we had the train spotting movie coming out like you know which was like all about heroin addicts and stuff like that in Scotland and you know you know that was sort of like the thing in my era um, and everyone seemed to be dying of heroin or taking heroin and, you know, things like that and getting AIDS from sharing needles, injecting heroin and all of those things. But the, when when I was younger, when we're talking a fair amount of time ago, but um, we didn't have or coming, maybe it was my background, I don't know, but I never, marijuana, we had heroin, coke. But no, it, like we didn't really, or I didn't really see MDMA. Um, LSD was around because we had LSD during the 60s, but like not, it wasn't prolific in my school, in my area or anything like that. But it was always said 
that if you if you smoked marijuana, marijuana was a gateway drug to the bigger drugs to to going out. If you if you had marijuana and you did it on a regular basis, then you the likelihood. I don't know what the stats would have been, but like, you know, one in five people then went on to heroin and various different other things. Do you, do you see that correlation like nowadays with like marijuana being the gateway drug or, or is it, is it different? Cause I think it's no. different. No, I don't, I don't, I don't see that correlation. I, I don't think a, a, a teenager, for example, that is using marijuana uh, is, is just going to go on either as a teenager, as an adult, to harder core drugs. Uh, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Uh, is, is, it, is it absolutely certain? No, not at all. Um, and, and the thing parents uh, should be aware of is that the earlier that they catch on to this and the earlier they get the assessments done and the intervention, then the likelihood of that child ending their substance use becomes much better. Um, so the earlier they can catch this and intervene and get treatment, uh, then the the more likely that their child is is going to break away from this. So what do you what do you look out for? Like as a parent, your kid goes off to school, they come back, they seem to be okay. Like what are you what are yeah. what are your key things that you would look for? Well, in my book, I have warning signs for a child that might be using alcohol. I have warning signs for a child that might be using marijuana. I have warning signs for a child that might be self-harming or developing an eating disorder. But, but as a general, I was going to say, are they different I, or like you know, is it? Yeah, they they they're they're slightly okay. different. Um, um, but uh, as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to your child, the changes that you see in your child. Okay. You know your child better than anyone. So pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. Don't assume that the, that the behaviors or the changes that you're seeing is normal adolescent acting out behavior. It might very well be that, but it might also be an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface that, that you need to to check into. So some examples would be a child whose grades are beginning to decline. Um, a child who is getting into disciplinary problems at school, a child who uh, used to enjoy participating in sports no longer wants to participate, a child who used to openly um, let you know who their friends were. You knew who their friends were. You might have even known who their family were, members were. Now becomes very secretive of who their friends are. So these are just some examples of changes that you can observe in a child. Now, if these changes last a few days or they seem to come and go, it's probably not something to be too concerned about. Mm. But if they tend to linger on and on and on and you begin to see more of these changes, maybe you noticed one and then you see another and then another, then I think it's time to be concerned and get the assessments done that I recommend in my book so that as a parent, you have a complete picture of what's going in going on and you can rule in or rule out whether there are some issues that you need to address as a parent yeah and and are the signs different between the sexes so if you've got a boy and like and a girl and you had them side by side would the signs be different or are they generally just the same 
They're pretty much the okay. same, but there are differences between boys and girls. Um, boys tend to uh, abuse multiple substances, uh, <laughs> okay. whereas 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 girls are more likely to uh, be using just one substance. Wow. So there are some differences, but the warning signs are the warning signs. They're the same for a boy as they are for a girl. Wow, now that's interesting. Is there any research been done on why boys do multi-substance abuse and why girls only do one? We tend to see within boys that there is a tendency for um, more personality disorders, okay. more conduct disorders, more attention deficit type hyperactivity disorders. Wow. In, in girls, we see uh, uh, sometimes more depression uh, more self-image issues, yeah. uh, partic particularly now wow. with social Don't media. Don't even go there. Um, yeah, 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 with the research coming out on social media, it's it's very alarming as to what its impact is on on teenage girls. Uh, but generally, I would say that no, boys and girls are pretty much similar in terms of they're using a substance. Um, you know, some some kids get attracted to substance out of curiosity. They just want to know what this is yeah. about. Some of them get involved because of peer pressure. Mm. Uh, and some, not all, but some kids get involved with substances because they want to medicate an underlying psychological yeah. issue like anxiety or depression or or some other well, issue. Well, yeah, so, and, and um, I was talking to somebody the other day regarding ADHD and people who have ADHD have a higher likelihood of, of abusing substances. So whether that be... Yeah. Um, MDMA or alcohol and things like that, basically, um, it, they because it's it's medic it's it's self medicating basically, um, you know. Yeah, and, and kids kids are no different than adults. They're no different. I mean, whether you're an adult or you're a teenager, we don't like having what I call intolerable thoughts or feelings or memories. We're not going to sit with those. We want to get get them out. And sometimes the way that we get rid of them, whether it's an adult or a teenager, is through yeah. a substance. And also, I think with autism and with ADHD and various different other, um, what would you call it, like mental health issues or processing issues, with those various different things, people are made to feel as though they're being naughty, as though they're different, as though – and they – they are, they're not, they are different, but it's only because they process things differently. It's not that they're, um, what's the word um, that I'm looking for? God, my brain needs to work. It's not that they're different in a bad way. They're different in a good way, but because of how they deal with, interpret or act out regarding various different situations and scenarios can be deemed as being difficult or, or whatever, which they're not. It's just how they process stuff. And so that way, um, it can affect them that way, I suppose, in the fact that they're just normalized, wanting to be the same as everyone else at school or, you know, in the workplace or whatever. There and there still is a stigma yeah. associated with mental health um, and, and and addiction, much more so with addiction. But there is a stigma with with uh, uh, with mental health, and I think sometimes that can be scary for parents too, uh, especially if they're struggling with a child who's using a substance. Uh, they they feel like, what did I do wrong? How did things go bad? Uh, am I a good parent? So they have their own issues too, and and and. That's, and that is something that I try to stress. 
yes, we put a lot of attention on the teenager who's who's struggling with alcohol or drugs. But in doing so, we oftentimes miss the fact that the parent is going through their yeah. own struggle. They need help, too. It's not just the child, the teenager that needs help for their substance use. The parent needs help, too, because they're going through a lot of stress. They may be feeling angry. They may be feeling as if they were a, they're a bad person parent so parents need mm. help too. yeah no look i completely agree and at the end of the day uh it could be that the parent has is has been traumatized or dealt with something themselves but dealt with it in a different way to how their child has but their child has come out as a, a sub, substance abuse but the parent could be a workaholic for example or you know it could be a different type of um addiction as such um, but not one that's recognized as a substance abuse as such. You know, it could be a shockaholic. Just like, look at could look be. at Imelda yeah. Marcos. <laughs> no woman needs that many shoes. But like, you know, at the at the end of the day, yeah, no, that's fair enough. So, okay, so, so if we recognize those warning signs just solely regarding substance abuse, and I want to sort of split the two as such, what do we do as parents? Like, do you confront your child and say, hey, what's going on? Or do you do secret squirrel spy stuff and try and catch them out with using drugs or whatever? I mean, I don't know. What, what would you do? What do you do? The first thing you should do is have a discussion with your child. And by that, I mean, it's not an interrogation. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's not punishment. It's not arguing. It's not. It's not demanding. You want to approach this discussion from an inquiring point of view. I'm seeing these behaviors, or I'm concerned about this. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing this? Um, you know, we're very good at listening to each other's words when we talk. So when we talk to our children, uh, or we talk to each other, we're very good at hearing each other's words. We're not so good at hearing the feelings behind those mm. words. And that's a skill that every, every parent can practice and they can learn so that when we're talking to our child, we not only hear their words, we hear the feelings behind those words, and we can reflect those back to the child. I, you know, I'm hearing you say this, this is how I'm feeling. Um, uh, but but that first conversation should come from the standpoint of just being being curious about what you're seeing and seeing if your child will give you some information. Now, that's a conversation that's likely to go one of two ways. The child's either going to blow up and become angry and defensive and you're not going to learn anything, or you might actually learn a few things you didn't know. But regardless of how that this, how that conversation goes, if you're still concerned as a parent, the next step you need to take is to get the assessments done that I recommend in my book. Okay. So that as a so that as a parent, you get a complete comprehensive view of what's going on with your child, rule in or rule out things and have a plan on how to move. And forward. so would you go and see like your your doctor and say, I've got concerns that my child is abusing substances. What, what do we need to do regarding, you know, um, the checks yeah. that I need to go through? I, like, is it therapy? Is it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you can't really make a decision on what the next steps are until you get a comprehensive okay. assessment. And by comp and by comprehensive assessment, I mean more than just an addictions assessment, which is what yeah. I was doing. You'll also want to get a psychological or a neuropsychological okay. assessment. You want to get a complete physical examination. Uh, so there's a number of assessments wow. that yeah. you need to get done. Now, where do you start with this? Well, you can start with your family yeah. physician. Um, they oftentimes can make referrals to professionals who can do those assessments. Uh, you could talk to the school counselor or the school social worker. Some of them can do these assessments. And if, if not, they can make referrals for you. You can check with your local mental health society. They can give you referrals. So there's a number of resources that you yeah, can Yeah, you've got like to. a number of avenues. It's just like using them and sort of and, – and would you – like, okay, so if yeah. – because I'm always one for keep pushing, right? So, um, and not my child. I mean the fact that if you go down an avenue and you're not getting the satisfactory, like, answers that you need, would you then go, like, if you go to the school and the school's not actually being forthcoming with, you know, like, okay, we'll do an assessment and we'll do this and we'll, you know, if they're not forthcoming, you try a different avenue and you go and you just keep trying until yeah. you get to the point where you need to go to as such. The important thing is to know the assessments that you yeah, need to okay. get done, because many parents will think, OK, I, I, I need an addictions assessment. Yeah, you do. But you also need a psychological assessment or a neuropsychological assessment to rule in or rule out if there's any other issues that your child is struggling with. Too many parents just focus on the drugs. I'll just get an addictions assessment and we'll talk about that. No, an addictions assessment is important. You need to get that done, but you also need other assessments to see if there's any of these other issues going on. Then when you have all that put together, you can get some recommendations on what the next treatment options will be. So it's very important that you get these assessments And an addiction done. assessment, because I'm not sure we've got, we, and look, I haven't been faced with this, so I don't know. Um, but I don't know if we have an addictions assessment in Australia, but like an addictions assessment, is that just finding out like what substances they are using, et cetera, or what, what does that actually entail? There are some tests that are geared towards adolescents. Oh, okay. um, one of them is one of them is a substance abuse subtle screening mm -hmm. inventory. It it has a number of questions and and assessments and and its whole purpose is to measure whether there's a probability that a child has a substance use okay. disorder and if they and if they do, is it mild, moderate, or severe? Um, and then a lot will come from from the interview itself with the teenager, at which time the counselor will be able to get a comprehensive review of all of the substance that, that, that they're using, how much of it they're using, how often they're using, and how long they've been using. A lot of that will come from the interview itself, but there's also some testing that's done And as you well. used to do these, didn't you? So did, yes, did, did. you find that the teen adolescent adult was quite forthcoming with the the information to you or were they still hiding that away as such did you have to like prize it out of most mo most of the time uh, i was able to work with them so that they felt safe and they felt that i they that i could be trusted 
and that they would open up and 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 share the information with me. I didn't have too much mm-hmm. of a struggle on getting the history from these young men and women. Um, and, and a lot of that does depend on the experience and the qualifications uh, of, 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 of the counselor and, 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 and whether or not they approach it from not a judgmental point of view. Well, I, my job's not to judge these young men and women. My job is to listen to them. And I wasn't just interested in the drugs that they were u- interested in using. I was interested in why they were using the substance. So I would spend time listening to them, help me try to understand why they were using the substance. And in many cases, it was to medicate an underlying wow. issue. Um, so, um, so it's very important that, you know, that the person who's doing the interview uh, have the ability to relate to teenagers in a way that they don't mm. feel threatened, in a way that they feel comfortable and safe so that they can talk about these issues. So I'm going to throw a question at you because it's interesting um, and it's always baffled me, always baffled me. Is there such a thing as an addictive personality? And if so, what is that? Well, that's that's a general term that people use. An I know, and it's annoying. It is annoying. It's annoying because I go like, what does an addictive, you've got an addictive personality. Well, what does that blooming mean? Like, you know. It, it means whatever exactly. the person wants it to mean. Uh, it's not a diagnosis. Uh, it's not a medical term. What we do know is that uh, 40 to 60 percent of a person's vulnerability to become addicted to a substance is genetics, okay. a genetic predisposition. And that's no different than any medical issue. Uh, a person who has diabetes in their family, what does it mean? They're at risk. A person who has hypertension in their family. What does it mean? They're at risk. A woman who has breast cancer in her family, what does it mean? They're at risk. Doesn't mean they're going to get the disorder or the disease, just means they're more at risk because of genetics. So 40 to 60% of a person's vulnerability to become addicted is genetics. What's the remaining percent? The remaining percent is environmental factors. And it takes more than genetics to get somebody to, to, to become addicted. Genetics will get you only so far, but then you need the environmental factors, high levels of stress, um, uh, all of the mental health issues, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, you name it, all of those. So when you combine the genetic predisposition and the environmental factors, the person's risk of becoming addicted increases. But it takes more than just in that genetics. It takes those environmental factors working with Yeah, genetics. no, I, look, I agree with you. Um, there's, there's several people, uh, several um, people that I've read about, um, one of them being, I think it's Bruce Lipton, um, and I need to check that, but uh, where he writes about the fact of DNA and genetic genes and stuff like that, and the fact that environment, you could have this gene, but if you don't have, if you're not in the environment to switch it on to, you know, switch on the MS gene yeah. or the cancer or, you know, whatever, then, um, and that's why, you know, that's okay. Yeah, you, you haven't put yourself, you know, you can you can manage and deal with uh, your body's genes. You've just got to, you know, not flip the switch that switches it on as such. You've just got to, yeah. you know, be aware of what factors potentially 
could contribute to you actually um, going down that avenue. As That's such. exactly right. If you know you have a predisposition genetically to a disorder, then that's information that should lead you to uh, behave or take actions in a way that will protect you even further from getting the disorder. So it's important to know what your genetic predisposition is, whether it's uh, a predisposition to a medical illness like diabetes or hypertension, uh, or if you have a family history of alcohol abuse or substance abuse. That's yeah. important information to know because your vulnerability increases because of the genetics. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So, okay. So that's substance abuse. Now let's cover off the other um, aspect, which is the mental health, the underlying conditions that we're we're talking about that potentially. And, and look, and, and this, I'm probably taking you into a minefield here because there are so many. And in a way, thank God there are or have been recognized so many disorders and things like that because um because you know we're able to put a label on something now and say oh that person rightly or wrongly but that person has x adhd for want of a better um area um so that we are then able to recognize that people with adhd all have a certain trait so so what about those sort of um that sort of side of things the mental health side of things well, that points to the to to the reason why I recommend a comprehensive assessment. Mm, um, mm. You, certainly, finding out everything you can about your child's history of using substances and getting a substance abuse diagnosis, if it's appropriate, is important. But you also want to get a complete view of what's going on with your child. You want that psychological or that neuropsychological assessment to tell you whether or not your child might have any of these uh, uh, underlying issues, uh, either to rule them in or rule them out. Um, mm. You know, uh, again, many of the children that I worked with, the teenagers who were smoking marijuana, were, were using that substance to medicate anxiety. So if that anxiety gets undiagnosed, or if it doesn't get treated, the chances of them breaking away from marijuana become significantly less. So when you have what we call these dual diagnoses, these dual disorders of substance abuse and mental health, it's very important that treatment address both issues. You can't just address the marijuana and ignore the anxiety. Uh, you have to, first of all, um, identify all of these disorders if they're there. And then you have to have a treatment plan that is comprehensive, that addresses everything uh, that, 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 you're, that you know about. Yeah, yeah. And then I suppose once you've actually discovered and worked through all of the details and actually found out what what you're dealing with, I suppose, then you've got to move uh -huh. on to the treatment plan. And that may not be exactly. as straightforward as, okay, well, we're going to go to a re rehab uh, treatment place and treat for the addiction because yeah. there may be so many other things actually as factors within that. Well, there is no one treatment plan that is appropriate for every child. Every child situation is unique and different. So the treatment plan needs to be unique and different. Now, the range of treatment options, um, there is no one treatment that 
is appropriate for every child. Some children, some teenagers will do very well in outpatient treatment where they mm -hmm. may meet with somebody once a week. Other children might need what we call an intensive outpatient program where they meet with somebody maybe two or three times a week. And for some children whose underlying issues are so severe or the substance abuse is so severe that they're looking at a residential treatment program where they will go to a residential program for, for weeks or months. Those tend to be appropriate in cases where either the substance abuse is very severe or the underlying mental health issue is so severe that these children will do very well in a longer term treatment program. So in my book, I explain all of the different treatment options that are there, how to recognize what a good treatment program looks like, and what questions as a parent you should ask a potential uh, treatment provider. Mm. But the purpose of a comprehensive assessment is to identify what the issues are and put together a treatment plan so that as a parent, you know what your options are. And is it just about treating the addicted child or the adolescent, the addicted person, or is, is it about actually bringing everyone within that environment? Because I, I know from, um, I know from uh, experience and stuff like that, that, uh, that actually sometimes, especially with alcoholics, it's the family that can be the enabling factor as well. Um, yeah. And, and therefore it like, it's, it's all encompassing um and you know sometimes it's it's the people around the addict that needs to be treated as well that's right and 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 you know when you have an adolescent in a family uh, a lot of the attention gets focused on the adolescent but many times the entire family needs help the entire family needs treatment and 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 it's very important that that treatment be provided to the family sometimes there are other siblings that are affected by uh, their brother or sister's substance use the parents are affected by the use so sometimes we we sort of neglect the fact that often the family will need support. And in many times, the family itself will need treatment as well as the child who's using a substance that often gets ignored, which is unfair to the family. Uh, but many times the family will need support and the family will need help or therapy yeah, as well. Yeah, that, that's sort of what I'm hearing and finding with talking to a lot of people like yourselves is that, you know, it, it they just need tools to be able to deal with the situation and potentially to stop that addictive cycle that's going on, which which is a very hard thing. If you've been within that environment um, for a long period of time, that can be a very hard thing to have ha to, to deal with in the fact that you have to set boundaries um, and deal with that addic addictive person a completely different way to how you have been. Well, and, 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 and my message to parents is if you're going through this, 
um, you need to build a support system for yourself. Yeah. You need to have, maybe it's a family friend, uh, a family member or a friend. Maybe it's a support group, uh, but you need uh, to build a support system for you. Um, and, and, and this is an important issue because in addition to my main book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent mm -hmm. Substance Abuse, there is also a parent workbook that's available oh, wow. for parents okay. because I wanted something to be available for parents. It's very short also, uh, but it has exercises in it that helps parents put out on paper everything that they're going through. Um, you know, there's a, one of the exercises involves writing a letter to your child. You don't have to share the letter with your child, but it allows you as the parent to put down on paper everything you're going through and how you're feeling and how this is affecting you as a parent. There's exercise on how to deal with anxiety because many parents are going through anxiety with it, dealing with a child who's using a substance. There's some tips on how to communicate with your child by listening to their feelings as well as their words. So this is a parent workbook that's available uh, that, that I would encourage parents to, to get a copy of. Yeah, no, well. that sounds awesome because like, I, I can't imagine because I'm not there. My son is six, although some people might say kids nowadays are addicted to their screens and pads and you know ipads yeah. and, and so yeah. that's a whole different world of addiction and so i'm trying to manage and, and, and control that but um but yeah so um but I, I can't imagine what it would feel like as a parent to wake up every day and wonder if you're going to get the phone call to say that your child yeah. has overdosed or your child has done x or you know whatever uh, I can't imagine yeah. what that would actually feel like. And it must be terrifying if you are that parent to actually be um, just going through that and, and especially dealing with it on your own. I mean, I would say join a support group that with other people who are going through a similar sort of thing to, to help support you as such. And um I, I, I would recommend that. I, I think that can be very helpful because they understand. You're going to need Do you know that. what I mean? It's like you've yes. dealt with it for so many years, and like these people have been going through it and living it, right? I, me, I haven't dealt with it. So, like, I can sympathize and I can empathize, but can I actually understand what it's like and be put myself in your shoes? Well, I can think about it but actually living it is a different thing completely different yeah. thing so okay so um thank you for all of this because look i think it would really help with people who uh help people who are wondering if something's actually going on or happening have their suspicions as such and which is that first step to getting something sorted but look how do people get in contact with you uh richard if they need to um if they've got questions if if me talking to you has generated questions um and they want to you know fire a question to you or they want to get the book or whatever how do people talk to you well if if 
there are questions that they have, they can contact you yeah. um, with, with the questions and I'll be glad to come back and, and we can talk about their questions yeah, or issues. Um, I would recommend that, uh, that parents, regardless of the age of their child, even if their child is a pre-teenager uh, or teenager, uh, I would recommend that they get a copy of the book. Um, it's available on a Kindle or it's available as a paperback. Okay. Uh, if, if they get the paperback, I would say read it. It won't take you very long. Put it on your bookshelf and you've got it as a reference. You may not need it now, but you yeah. may need it in the future. Or you may know a family that could use it and you can loan it out to them. Yeah. Um, the book is available, like I say, as a Kindle. Uh, and as a paperback, and the parent workbook is a paperback. Those are all available through Amazon. Okay. The easiest way to get to that, uh, to them, is to go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Okay. Helptheaddictedchild.com. On the website, you can read about me. You can read endorsements and book reviews. Um, there will be a link that will take you directly to Amazon where you can purchase either the uh, Kindle version or the paperback version or the parent workbook. You just click on the link and it'll take you right there. And there's also a tab that uh, if you want to send me a note or ask me a question, you can uh, use the tab and it will come directly to me. So I recommend you go to anyone interested, go to helptheaddictedchild.com. Excellent. Brilliant. Brilliant. No, look, thank you, Richard. Thank you for coming and speaking to us today. Oh, oh, it's been a heavy subject, this, this, this conversation that you and I have had. But I'm now going to... It is. It is. It is, but my message to parents is knowledge mm -hmm. is information or, you know, knowledge is power. Learn as much as you can. Don't become paranoid about this issue. Don't let it scare you away uh, because you can learn the information. And hopefully uh, after you read my book, you'll feel more prepared, better prepared, more confident, less afraid. And you will walk away saying, OK, I understand this. I've got this. I feel I hope I never have to use it. But if I do, I feel better prepared. And, and the other message I have for parents is our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal mm. themselves. So if we intervene and we get treatment, our child can do remarkably well and get past this. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, I would actually say get the book now. I mean, I've got a six-year-old and I'm sitting here going, well, get the book now because it gives you that, it gives you those for want of a better yeah. word, armor. it gives you an armory to deal with whatever you need to deal with should it come along. Should it come along? We hope it doesn't, but should it come along, then you can it's go, oh, I'm seeing, you know, I'm not too sure you could got the book as a reference and you can refer back to it and stuff like that. And let's face it, we all hope and wish that right. things don't happen to us. We all, and, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, we all hope we're not going to be in a car crash, but, you know, at the end of the day, you could be. Um, so it's about preparing yourself uh, for all those eventualities and stuff. Look, yeah. thank you. Um, it's been interesting yes. talking to you, and I've really enjoyed delving into the different subjects and finding out about, well, the addicted child, addicted personalities, and all of those sort of things. Um, I'm going to try and lighten the mood a little bit here. Richard, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Because I asked this to all of my interviewees. 
Wow. If I had a superpower, I guess it would be um, the ability to reach out to more people okay. um, and to and to understand, um, you know, where they're coming from, what's going on, uh, sort of a superpower to be able to uh, zero in a little bit better on on, on what people are are, are doing yeah. and what they're dealing with. Yes, and sort of heal that, I suppose. Yeah, that would be a that would be a benefit. Yeah, I would no, hope. that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Look, Richard, it's it's been a pleasure. Like I've said, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for um, staying up because it's evening where you are in the states, yeah. and it's like afternoon from here for me here in Australia. But thank you for staying up and talking to us um, at the end of your day because I'm sure it's been a long, hard day. Um, and yeah, thanks. Um, hopefully, we'll get some questions through. We'll bring you back. We'll speak to you again soon. Well, thank you, Claire. I really appreciate your uh, taking the time to talk to me and for your contributions to the discussion as well. So thank you very much and uh, have a great yeah, week. Yeah, you too, Richard. Speak to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you'd like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family on all the usual social media platforms that you're normally on. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content that I know you're going to want to hear like this. If you want to check out past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast or for links, resources and show notes, go to our website www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. Have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one's perfect and we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.